If I were to tell you to stop buying anything with a barcode because it is a tool of Satan, would you do so? Would you listen to me? What if I told you to stop drinking the energy drink branded as monster drinks because it is associated with the devil? Would you do it? You may think I'm crazy for suggesting such a thing, but there are those in our Christian community who at one time or another advocated for such things. In the late 80s and the early 90s, there were Christian leaders who said that people should stop buying anything with a barcode because it was the mark of the beast, as the two larger stripes at the beginning, middle, and end of the barcode was the number 666. And therefore, buying anything with a barcode was helping the satanic agenda. More recently, in a viral video viewed by more than 14 million people and counting, Christine Wick tells people to stop drinking the monster energy drink, not because it is sugary and unhealthy, but because it is a satanic drink, because the large M font on the drink's marketing is not the letter M for monster, but actually three Hebrew letters, the letter Vav, of which sometimes it is used to symbolize six, and therefore the can has 666 on the front and the mark of the beast, so don't drink this satanic drink. Unfortunately, over the years, many have spent countless hours, months, and years trying to guess what is the mark of the beast, with guesses ranging from microchips implanted into human beings, credit cards with a microchip, national identification cards with its biometric data, vaccines, to various tattoos, and even to the former Soviet Union leader Mikhail Gorbachev's distinct birthmark on his forehead, or to Harry Potter's lightning scar on his head. This unnecessary wasted time spent on guessing what may be the mark of the beast has caused much fear and worry in the hearts of many. But this should not be the case if we read the Bible and what it has to say about this matter in its proper context. You see, I've said many a times, bad interpretation leads to bad application. And also, going beyond what the Bible says in speculation is wasted time. Often in times of uncertainty and during this pandemic, there is great interest in biblical eschatology or the study of what the Bible has to say about the end times. An interest in biblical eschatology is wonderful because the entirety of the Scriptures should be studied, and biblical prophecy serves as a message of hope assurance, and encouragement to the believers. However, unfortunately, many take a piecemeal approach to biblical eschatology, and they go beyond what the Bible says and reveals to speculate, guess, and even insist that we are living in the time known as the Great Tribulation today, which unfortunately will cause panic and fear in our hearts. Sadly, many focus a lot of time and attention on the so-called mark of the beast and the number 666, which are only mentioned in three verses in the entire Bible. What does the Bible say about this subject? This is what we want to take a look at in our study of Revelation chapter 13 and put these three verses that speak about the mark of the beast and the number 666 in its proper and full context. So please turn with me in your Bible to the book of the Revelation, the last book in the Bible, to chapter 13. Now, while you're turning to Revelation chapter 13, it is important to note a few things. First of all, we must remember that while the universal biblical principles found in the Scripture are applicable to all people of all ages, 
there are some things in the Bible that are written for a specific audience to deal with a specific issue in a certain historical time period. For example, the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthian church to address specific problems in the church at Corinth. Or Paul writes to Philemon to address the issue he has with his slave Onesimus. Or John writes to seven specific churches like Smyrna, Ephesus, and Laodicea to address specific issues unique to their local churches. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the biblical principles taught and derived from these biblical books can be applied to us Christians today in the present time. Therefore, we have to understand that the Bible is also for Christians living in the future. Christians who place their trust in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior during the seven-year period known as the Great Tribulation and live through that time will look to the Bible for encouragement and how to live their lives in challenging times. In fact, Jesus has a specific warning for them in Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 to 16, telling those that live in the Great Tribulation that when they see the Antichrist in Jerusalem during that time, then they need to flee to safety and to hide. This warning was echoed by the prophet Daniel. That means those who are not living in the Great Tribulation will not fully understand what is being talked about unless we are living at that time in which it happens. So speculation today won't help. These verses find full application and help for future Christians living in the Great Tribulation so that they can be aware. The mark of the beast and how the Antichrist uses the number 666 would fall under this category. We know it occurs in the Great Tribulation as the Bible reveals, but unless we are living in that time, we will not know the full extent of how those prophecies are fully realized. This is similar to how when the prophets of the Old Testament prophesied about the first coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, in incarnate form, without the fuller revelation of the New Testament, there is some ambiguity in how it will be realized. But the full understanding of these prophecies are fully realized and fulfilled when the events have taken place during the time of Jesus. Now, the second thing to note is that since we believe the Bible teaches that Christians will be raptured before the Great Tribulation, meaning all Christians will not be present when the seven-year Great Tribulation begins, when you read chapters 6 to 18 of the book of the Revelation, you can know that you will not experience what is being talked about in those chapters if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Because Revelation chapter 6 to 18 speaks specifically of the time of the Great Tribulation, which is the time of unprecedented judgment upon the world by our Lord. And our Lord, who is the bridegroom, will take His bride, the church, safely away before this judgment happens. The Bible tells us in Daniel chapter 9 that this seven-year period of the Great Tribulation begins with the signing of a covenant between the future Antichrist and the nation of Israel. And of course, this happens when the church has already been removed. Therefore, unless this specific covenant happens, the events described, again, in Revelation chapter 6 to 18, do not take place, and we will not experience it. So even if what happens in chapter 13 do not take place today, 
from our study of this chapter, we can still draw out some biblical principles for how the evil one, Satan, operates and how he operates to deceive the world, which does have present-day application for us as believers. So, I will share four warnings of how Satan operates to deceive mankind and draw us away from following Jesus, because how Satan operates has always been the same. Let's begin as I read Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his head a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. The Apostle John, who is on the island of Patmos, and given this eschatological revelation from God, begins this chapter by telling us that he has a God-given vision of a beast coming out of the sea with multiple heads, horns, and crowns. This beast represents the future Antichrist who will rule ten nations in Europe, the ten horns with crowns, at the beginning of the Great Tribulation. This future revived Roman Empire is also similarly prophesied in Daniel chapter 2 and 7. Notice that this imposing figure of a beast receives his power from the dragon, which Revelations chapter 12 verse 9 tells us is the devil, Satan himself. Therefore, from these verses, we know that the power and authority of the future Antichrist will come from Satan. Satan will give the Antichrist great power, great influence, and great authority over the earth during the time of the Great Tribulation. Look at me at verses 3 and 4. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? who is able to make war with him. Somehow during the Great Tribulation, the Antichrist will be mortally wounded, but somehow through satanic power, he is healed. And because of this supposed deceptive miraculous healing, the people living in the Great Tribulation are in awe and marvel at the Antichrist, and so they loyally, blindly follow him. Now I want to note something here. Satan is a great imitator. He is a creation and not the creator. And so he has no quote-unquote original bone in his body. And all he does is imitate God. He imitates God's holy trinity. And we see this here. The second person of the triune Godhead, the sinless Son of God, God Himself, Jesus Christ, dies and resurrects in order to save the world from their sins. The quote-unquote Son of Satan, the human Antichrist, also seemingly dies and is deceptively raised from the dead in order not to save the world, but to get the world to worship Him. The Bible tells us that the future people of the world worship the Antichrist, and the reason they follow Him are because they are in awe of Him. And as verse 4 tells us, they are afraid to stand up against Him because the entire world marvels at Him. The minority refuses to stand up to the majority. This should also serve as a warning to us living today that, number one, the enemy of God uses 
the cult of personality to deceive. Warning one, the enemy of God uses the cult of personality to deceive. Some people have asked me when I teach on eschatology, how can it be that the modern-day people living in the future with access to so much technology and information be so deceived and be such in awe that they look beyond a person's failings and in their ambitions and desires? I say absolutely it can happen. Just look at the examples in North Korea, Italy, Cuba, Chile, Uganda, Germany, Spain, Peru, Venezuela, the Philippines, China, and even the U.S. In the history of our lifetime, you see that people are willing to accept the lie, to live in abject poverty and hardship, to break friendships, to turn on family members as they revere their leader so much that they follow his or her every word because of the cult of personality. They go so far as to have their leaders' pictures hung in every private home and in every public building. And the country's artists and media portray these leaders as heroes with a godlike status. May it be a warning to us that the devil will use the cult of the personality to deceive us because he knows that we have a tendency as people today to so blindly, totally follow people because they are powerful, because they're eloquent, because everyone speaks highly of them, because they are loved by the world, because they have a great talent or a great skill, or if the minority is afraid to speak up against the majority. We follow these people so much so that we imitate how they talk, what they wear, and even how they live. We are willing to look beyond their character flaws and are blind to their failings. We so easily forget that all people are sinners just like you and me, who need the Savior, Jesus Christ. And we forget that as Christians, we are to follow only Jesus. As Christians, we are to be Christ followers. In fact, the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, follow me as I follow Christ. Paul says the only people we should imitate are those people who follow Christ closely. This is a warning to Christians of how we look at Christian leaders. Now, while we may honor, look up to, and respect pastors and Christian leaders, we should remember that they are also sinners saved by grace, and they can be guilty of the most heinous of sins. That's why there's a need for accountability structure in the life of Christian leaders. The gifted apologist Ravi Zacharias was found to have engaged in sexual misconduct and sexual assault on multiple women, and it was found after his death. It shocked the Christian world because so many people looked up to him. But what is sad is that those who were in spiritual authority and in accountability over him looked past the warning signs because they were so in awe of his gifted mind and eloquence. That is, again, why we have to be warned not to fall into the cult of the personality in the Christian world. Satan wants us to focus our attention away from Jesus and onto other people. So, my friends, follow Christ. Imitate Him. Don't imitate personalities and people 
and engage in people worshiping. People will fail us, but only Christ will never fail us. If you find yourself often quoting one person or always saying this pastor or this leader says this or that, instead of this is what Jesus teaches or this is what Jesus says, then you may have fallen into the cult of personality. If you always quickly brush aside any negative information about your favorite leader or personality and always come to his or her defense on what may be legitimate accusations, then you may have fallen into the cult of personality. Even the most trusted Christian leader can lie and steal because we're all sinners. Even more in this generation, accountability, transparency, and an intimate walk with Jesus is important for the Christian in the Christian life now more than ever. Look with me now at verses 5 to 10. And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose name have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints." Here in verse 5, we are told that the Antichrist speaks great things, meaning he must be an eloquent person whose speeches captivate the future world's audience. But the word he speaks are words of blasphemy against the one true God. Without a doubt, the future Antichrist is an enemy of God whose true color will be fully revealed to the entire world and not just to Europe during the second half of the seven-year Great Tribulation, which 42 months references here in verse 5. In verses 6 and 7, it is clear that the future Antichrist will unite the world and lead the world against the one true God, the things of God, and the people of God. Christians who are living through the Great Tribulation because they have come to know Christ during that seven-year period will find it very difficult to live as Christians and survive. Most will be martyred for their faith. This glimpse of what the future holds for Christians living in the Great Tribulation is a reminder that as each day brings us one day closer to the coming of Jesus Christ, that persecution against the people of God will increase. The Bible tells us in Revelation 12, verse 17, that the dragon, Satan himself, is angry at Christ because Christ's death and resurrection mark His great defeat, and so He persecutes all followers of Jesus Christ. He has been persecuting Christians throughout all ages. The devil knows that his time is short. The devil knows biblical prophecy. He has read the Bible, and his philosophy is to take down as many people with him as possible. And if they are Christians, he desires nothing more than to deceive and to persecute them. While we may live in relative peace and safety in our country, practicing Christianity with our religious freedoms protected, it is not so in many parts of the world today. That's why there will come a time when being a Christian will mean persecution upon your life, perhaps even martyrdom. 
and we are marching in that direction. I think it's important for Christians today to recognize this truth and be warned. Warning number two, the enemy of God persecutes Christians through various means. The enemy of God persecutes Christians through various means. It should not be a surprise to us when we experience persecution today. It should not be surprising that the world laughs at us for holding on to Christian values and principles. We should be able to accept the fact that the world will not accept what is taught in the Bible. The world will not accept how Christ's followers should live and the lifestyle that honors God. Sadly, many Christians have the notion that we can live in the balance of two worlds, that we can live the comfortable good life as long as we don't upset God too much so that He punishes us and we don't upset the world too much that they don't like us. And so we live out our lives trying to make sure we don't sin too greatly against God to make God so mad that He will not bless us, and we don't speak too publicly or strongly about our Christian faith that the world will continue to accept us. But this is an impossible balance. Jesus' own words in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 tells us that we can't serve two masters because we will have to hate one and love the other or vice versa. So in view of the reality that the enemy of God will persecute Christians in the future and in fact is doing so now, it's time for us as Christians to take a stand and finally pick a side. Choosing between the Lord and the world is a zero-sum game. You and I have to choose a side. You and I have to choose between a worldview that follows a biblical worldview or a secular one. You have to choose to trust Jesus' enablement or to trust in man's abilities. And Satan has lulled many of us into thinking that we can be fence-sitters because we are not under great persecution. But with the coming onslaught, which side will you choose? Some of the greatest men and women of faith are those who have lived under great persecution. But you and I don't have to wait until we are under great persecution to be great men and women of faith. Living for the one who saved your life and gives us eternal life, it is a marvelous calling. Sadly, we can't even win the little battles that play out in our lives every day. In the battle of Netflix versus weekly virtual worship, Netflix often wins out. In the battle of social media check-in versus daily Bible reading, social media check-in wins out. In the battle of YouTube or TikTok videos versus a time of prayer, the videos win out, and we aren't even being persecuted. If we can't win in the small battles of our lives, which is our preparation for the coming onslaught, then how do we expect to be prepared for when we have to take a stand on a biblical truth that is very unpopular in the world today? Already we see this playing out in the cultural battle of our times with pressure for us to accept the LGBTQ plus lifestyle. And while we love those in this community as people, as God loves them as well, we are forced by the world to accept their lifestyle, which is in direct conflict with what the Bible teaches. And if we don't accept, then we are persecuted and branded as being bigoted and small-minded. So my friends, understand that there are only two sides, and the side of the world is never on the side of God. 
Both worldviews are in direct conflict with each other. The things of the world are not in alignment with the things of God. Which side will you take knowing that you will be under persecution through various means? Are you ready to wholeheartedly take the side of the one who saved you and gives you eternal life in the face of persecution by the world? You and I have to make this choice. Look with me at verses 11 and 12. Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Beginning in verse 11, John writes that he, that he sees another beast, this time coming out of the earth. This is the person we refer to as the false prophet in biblical eschatology. Like the Antichrist, the false prophet also has great authority. His role is like that of God the Holy Spirit in Satan's quote-unquote unholy trinity. But instead of directing the people to worship Jesus, this false prophet is directing and encouraging people to worship the Antichrist. Then end of verse 12 tells us that the false prophet points to the miraculous healing of the Antichrist as one of the main reasons to worship the Antichrist. Let me read now from verses 13 to 15. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. The Bible says that the future false prophet is able to perform miraculous acts, one of which is to make fire come down from heaven, and he uses these signs and wonders to deceive, fool, and mislead those who are on the earth in the great tribulation. Now, my friends, we need to remember that Satan and his demons have powers. Yes, we have victory through the power and name of the blood of Jesus Christ, but that doesn't mean that Satan and his minions don't have supernatural powers. Remember in the book of Exodus, Pharaoh's magicians were able to imitate at least three of the ten plagues of God, but only three. Demons have power, but those powers are limited. And while great and should be respected, we don't need to live in fear of Satan and his demons with their demonic powers because the Bible reminds us in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, that greater is He that is in us than he that is of the world. Our God is greater than Satan and his forces. But since Satan and his demons wield supernatural powers, we are reminded that Satan often uses signs and wonders to deceive the world, as verses 13 to 15 tells us. We are told that in the future great tribulation, the false prophet, with the power of Satan, will convince the people of the world to make a large statue idol of the Antichrist. But this isn't just an ordinary statue. This statue will be able to talk, and those who do not worship the statue will somehow be killed by this statue. 
Now, we aren't given any other details of how this statue is able to talk and kill people. Perhaps it is an elaborate illusion with terrifying consequences. But the details are here to serve as a warning for the Christians living in the times of the Great Tribulation that when they see this statue erected, they need to stay as far away from it as possible. For us today, applicationally, here is warning number three. The enemy uses signs and wonders to fool the world. Warning number three, the enemy uses signs and wonders to fool the world. This is a generation that I have noticed that is moved more and more by emotions, experiences, and signs and wonders without doing proper due diligence by checking facts and motivations. This is especially true in the Christian life. Many want and are seeking for that emotional feeling. They want to see signs and wonders. They want to have that experiential moment instead of taking the time to patiently and carefully study God's Word and to do simple fact-checking through the Bible. So whenever perhaps someone claims in a book or a story that they've gone to heaven and experienced this or that, then we are so readily willing to believe them, even though that what they have experienced is in direct conflict and in contradiction of what the Bible says. But we don't know the Bible well enough to know that it is in conflict, and therefore what they experience is not true. That is why it is important for us today, knowing that the enemy uses signs and wonders to fool us, to filter everything we experience, everything we see and hear through God's Word, the Bible. This may seem like a boring task, but it will avoid us getting misled. This is exactly what the Bereans did and were commended for in Acts chapter 17, verse 11. They filtered everything that they heard from the Apostle Paul through the lenses of the Scriptures. You see, Satan is the former angel of light, formerly Lucifer, the morning star. And so he can mask his powers in very subtle ways, in ways that seem very spiritual and even Christian-like as he infiltrates the Christian world to fool us. As the great deceiver, he uses signs and wonders that are seemingly quote-unquote Christian to mislead and fool many Christians into practicing things that are simply unbiblical. For example, if Satan commands one of his demons to make someone sick, and then someone practices voodoo or uses a charm or a ritualistic saying or prayer, or even calls upon a so-called faith healer, or whatever other deceptive practices is being used upon that sick person, then Satan can easily command that demon to stop making that person sick. Then whatever has been applied on that sick person will now be believed as, quote-unquote, always working, and Christians and non-Christians alike will be deceived into thinking that because it works, that is something we must do or continue to do. That's why so many people are caught up into the bondage of satanic back practices that are often masked as Christian practices. How do we prevent ourselves from being deceived and fooled by Satan? By knowing well the Word of God and making sure we interpret verses in their proper context and then having the right application. For a generation with so much access to knowledge and information, I have found this generation more gullible and quite honestly dumber 
And the reason is because people are inherently lazy to do the hard work needed to search for truth, especially truth in the Bible. And so they want the easy way to learn things through experience and emotions. So Satan is therefore able to use signs and wonders to fool the world and even the Christian world so easily. I'm sure you've seen those video clips where random people on the streets are asked really simple questions and they can't even answer it correctly because they are lazy, they haven't taken time to research and to learn, or they are simply gullible and believing. I saw a video once where the question was asked, which is heavier, 200 pounds of feather or 200 pounds of brick? And the man insisted it was 200 pounds of feather. Another was, if you drive 100 kilometers an hour for one hour, how many kilometers have you driven? Their answer was one. It just shows you that this generation is not using their brain. Very believable at people who are eloquent, so easily fooled. And the evil one will use signs and wonders with increasing frequency to fool the world and fool the people in the future to believe in the Antichrist. Let us be grounded in the Word of God so that we will not be so easily deceived. Remember how Jesus counteracted Satan in the great temptation of His. He quoted Scripture in its proper context. Now let's take a look at verses 16 to 18. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Now, the Bible tells us that the future Antichrist is somehow able to convince much of the people of the world of all ages, economic levels, and social status, living in the future Great Tribulation, to receive a mark on either their right hand, or on their foreheads. The Greek word for mark is the word karagma. It is the meaning and the idea of engraving or etching like a tattoo. And this mark would allow those in the future Great Tribulation to transact in the economic system of that time. Presumably, those who do not have this mark would not be able to buy food or essential things which would further convince people to readily get this mark. Now, as to what exactly is the shape, design, and size of this mark, whether it will be on the skin or under the skin, or if it is a symbol or an object with an electronic component, we are simply not told in the Bible. You see, God in His sovereign wisdom, through the inspiration of the Scripture, does not reveal any of this information to us. Presumably, those who are reading the Bible in the time of the Great Tribulation will know what is this mark, and they will be warned about it, as the warning is here in chapter 13. They will then have to decide whether to get it or not, and as followers of Christ, they will not. But that means survival will be difficult, but not impossible. Revelation chapter 20 verse 4 tells us that many Christians who do not receive the mark are martyred, even beheaded during this time. But many Christians do survive the Great Tribulation through the protection of God. And these will be the people who presumably have to live off-grid, but they will enter into the Millennial Kingdom 
having survived the Great Tribulation. Now, on the other hand, those who believe the Antichrist and get the mark will be punished by God. Revelation chapter 14, verses 9 to 10 tells us that those who receive the mark will have the wrath of God poured out on them. And Revelation chapter 16, verse 2 shows us that certain judgments of the 21 seal, trumpet, and bowl judgments in the Great Tribulation are only for those with the mark. So, reading the Bible, we know that those living in the future Great Tribulation will have to make a choice. They have to choose between following God or following Satan and his representative, the Antichrist. And with that choice, they will experience either temporary benefits like transacting in that economy, but experiencing God's eternal fury and judgment, or experiencing temporary hardship and even martyrdom by not getting the mark of the beast, but enjoying eternal life and blessing. As Revelation chapter 20 verse 4 tells us, Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the Word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. That's in the millennium. So, my friends, we have a similar choice today. Do we choose to follow God or to follow the world? Do we choose to have temporary benefits that the world offers today, but then come with it eternal judgment? Or do we choose temporary hardship in this life so that we can enjoy eternal blessings forever? You see, this is warning number four. The enemy of God uses temporary benefits to lead us away from eternal blessings. The enemy of God uses temporary benefits to lead us away from eternal blessings. I hope Christians today will heed this warning because so many of us live for the now. We live with temporary, temporal focus only for the benefits that we can have now. And yet the Bible reminds us that we are to live with a heavenly mindset to store up treasures in heaven because those treasures in heaven do not decay. They last forever. What is eternity compared to the few years we have in this life? The life choices and how we live today will reverberate throughout eternity. With this warning given, what is the choice that you will make? Since we currently do not live in the time of the Great Tribulation, nor will we, and since the Bible doesn't reveal much more about the mark of the beast other than to say it is another way by which the Antichrist controls the world and directs worship to him in the future, then I believe that Christians should not spend much time guessing what is the mark of the beast or what could be the mark of the beast. In fact, too much fascination with this future mark of the beast takes our focus away from studying God's Word. Unfortunately, some people advocate that getting the vaccine for this COVID-19 pandemic is akin to getting the mark of the beast. This is utter nonsense, and people who advocate for this have not studied their Bibles, specifically chapter 13 of the book of the Revelation. Whether one chooses to get the vaccine or not is a personal decision that should be bathed in prayer and based on science, medical research, their own doctor's advice based on one's own medical condition 
as God gives you wisdom. The current COVID-19 vaccine cannot be the mark of the beast because we do not live in the time of the great tribulation, and we will not. It cannot be the mark of the beast, this COVID-19 vaccine, because the rapture of the church has not yet occurred. The Antichrist has not appeared. The Antichrist of the nation of Israel has not yet signed a covenant and other eschatological events that have not yet happened. Also, the Bible clearly teaches that the mark of the beast is for buying and selling in the economy of the future Great Tribulation. It has nothing to do with the prevention of a virus. Now, there are advocates who believe that this vaccine is the mark of the beast because they would argue that Revelation chapter 13, verse 17 is happening now because we are moving in a direction where you can't travel, you can't go to school, or you can't enter stores without a vaccine, and then point to it as saying that this is the mark of the beast. But you know, my friends, we can't drive without a driver's license. We can't travel without a passport. We can't buy from a grocery store without money. But no one is claiming that a driver's license, passport, and money are the marks of the beast. So please, Christians, let's carefully study the Bible and use our wisdom and brain and not spread unbiblical information. Verse 18 tells us that the number of the beast is 666, for it is the number of man. That number seems to highlight the fact that as powerful as Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet seem to be at the time of the Great Tribulation, they are only creations and not the Creator, and therefore they are not all-powerful. You see, man was created on the sixth day, but God finished the creation cycle in seven days, resting on the seventh. So 666 does not have the idea of completeness and fullness, like a number like 777, which shows forth the omnipotence and sovereignty of a triune Godhead. What is this number? Sadly, many have tried to use numerology to try to guess the person of the Antichrist to this number. This is a fool's errand, as we do not know the identity of the Antichrist, nor will we know the identity of the Antichrist until after the rapture, as 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7 tells us. And using numerology or gematria, which is finding hidden meaning in numbers in the Bible, is almost occultic and should not be practiced by the Christian. How 666 is to be used to associate and identify the Antichrist will only be revealed fully to Christians and people who live during the time of the Great Tribulation. For now then, 666 should be for us only a number after 665 and a number before 667. My friends, it is always important to study verses in its context to avoid misinterpretation and bad application. There have been so much misinformation and unbiblical interpretation out there about the mark of the beast and the number 666 that have brought unnecessary fear and worries even within the Christian community. I hope that our study of Revelation chapter 13 has been enlightening. While these are events that take place in the future, how Satan operates should serve as a warning for us today. Remember, warning number one, the enemy of God uses the cult of personality to deceive. Warning number two, the enemy of God persecutes Christians through various means. Don't be surprised if you are persecuted. Warning number three, 
the enemy of God uses signs and wonders to fool the world. Make sure you use the Bible to filter out any experience and any signs and wonders. Warning number four, the enemy of God uses temporary benefits to lead us away from eternal blessings. Keep your focus heavenward as you live this life. I like how DTS professor Dr. Spiegel puts it. No passage of Scripture directs Christians to prepare for the Antichrist, but numerous passages instruct Christians to await Christ's return. It is a real problem if your end-time expectations are Antichrist-centered, which is fear, rather than Christ-centered, which is hope. I leave you with these words from the Apostle Paul to the church in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So, my friends, don't spend too much time wrapped up in trying to guess who is the Antichrist, what is His mark, and His 666 number. Instead, let us not go beyond what the Bible says and just focus on being found faithful and be watching and waiting in anticipation for Christ's soon coming. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Help us through our study of Revelation 13 to focus on You, to be Christ-centered, not to be anti-Christ-focused. There are many things that are not revealed in the Scripture. You and Your wisdom chose for us not to know. But thank You, Lord, that You reveal it in Scripture under Your inspiration for the Christians who will live during that time to give them hope and a warning. But we have warnings today for how we shall live. And I pray, Lord, that we would apply the lessons we have learned from this chapter to know our enemy, to be ready for his tactics so that we can live our lives in such a way that is holy and pleasing, that can be found faithful when you come, and that our minds will be set heavenward with an eternal focus, not living in the temporary. And help us, Lord, to find joy when there is persecution, not surprised that it is part of our lives, but to readily accept it, knowing that we're one day closer to the coming of Christ. And by enduring faithfully, we garner for ourselves great eternal rewards. May you continue to encourage us with your word, and we anticipate your soon coming. Come, Lord Jesus, come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.